I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to speak today about his miraculous incarnation and birth. And my subject this morning is when greatness chooses insignificance. When greatness chooses insignificance. Father... I don't even know where to begin to say thank you. That you would care so much for us. That you would give heaven's best. That we could join you someday. That we could be reconciled to God even while we're here. And know you in worship. But see you then face to face. The price that you had to pay for that to take place is a price so great that my mind can't comprehend it. And I ask you to help us to understand this morning the miracle of Christmas, lest we fall into that place where we take it for granted and act like it's always been when it hasn't. Speak to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. Now, like that song that they sang, hallelujah, wasn't that uplifting? Somebody shout hallelujah here today. Amen. When greatness chooses insignificant, insignificance, rather, there are important truths that we must never let go of. The entirety of scripture rests upon a few non-negotiable, unalterable, and unchangeable theological truths. The meaning of life on this horizontal plane of existence can literally only be grasped and understood when we fathom the meaning of the vertical dimensions of life as they relate to knowing and serving God. It is more than just a cute adage when we say, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, N-O that is, N-O peace. It is the primary reality of our existence. The psalmist David asked in Psalms 11 verse 3 beginning, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And then he said, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. 
That's what the psalmist David said. The righteous cannot exist, David is declaring, upon any foundation other than truth. And if that foundation is destroyed, then the church, the righteous, God's people have nothing left to stand on. And David further goes on to remark that God will frequently test the righteous. The wicked are constantly trying to undermine the integrity and the validity of scripture. So God will often step back, won't he? And get out of their way just to see if his people will rise up and stop what the enemy is seeking to do. Or if they will just sit back and allow it. He will test us to see if we're going to say something or be silent. And there are some things to be sure that we as Christians can allow. We can. We can allow to slide certain, certain things we can just let go by. And not get all bent out of shape about it. We, we don't need to raise a fuss over certain issues that change. Among them are issues that I was raised to embrace as a child. But for which there was no scriptural validity. Amen. Many of us were raised to believe things that were not founded in scripture. I was raised by my grandparents when I was a small child. And they were people born not in the last century, but in the century before my grandfather was born in the early part of 18, the 1890s. And my grandmother was born in 1897. I was raised by people who were old when I was born. Amen. And they believed and taught things that you could not find in the Bible. Not only did they believe them, but nearly everyone else believed them too. And that's whether you were spirit-filled or not, Christian or not, saved or not, heathen or not. There were just some things that people believed back then. And it didn't matter, like I said, if you were a church member or not. You still believed the same things because it was culture. And they conflated culture with theology. And you couldn't separate the two in their minds. Some people still struggle with that today. Among some of the things that you couldn't do, men had to be clean shaven. Probably at least a third of the males in this room here today have some facial hair. That's very common now. But think about it. They had come through World War I, World War II, the Korean War. We were in the Vietnam War. And they did not allow people in the military to have facial hair because gas masks would not seal. And so you know what happened? It became the culture. Nobody wears facial hair if you're a male. Amen. And women, on the other hand, had their list of rules too. No long hair, no makeup. (laughs) Anybody remember those days? Yeah. Some of you ladies glad we're beyond them. Come on, can I hear an amen? I ought to hear a loud amen. Jesse Duplantis said he was raised in one of those churches where they preached against ladies wearing makeup. It was a sin if a woman wore makeup. And Jesse, in his inevitable way, rolled his eyes and said, I've seen some, it's a sin if they don't. <laughs> Amen. That's what Jesse said, not me. So get mad at him. Amen. You couldn't watch TV. You couldn't listen to certain kinds of secular music. And none of those things were taught against in the scripture, but churches believed them because that was the culture. I mean, I grew up during the era of the Beatles 
man, still hearing Elvis and, and the Rolling Stones and all of that era, you know, and, and man, my, my grandmother, oh no, you don't play that kind of music. She would absolutely freak out with Nicki Minaj right now, I can tell you. She'd have a heart attack. She wouldn't survive it. And what amazes me is all that music they used to preach against then. That's elevator music now. You go to the hospital to visit somebody, they play it going up the elevator. That's how tame it has become. Amen. And when believers begin to push back against these kind of restrictions, I had just begun in ministry. So I did a study of the word of God and I could not find some of these things in the Bible and I could not in good conscience preach what was not required in the scripture. Because if you add anything to this book, the plagues of the book are added to you. That's what the Bible said. You don't preach what's in it, then your name's subtracted from the book. And that's also a sobering word. But there are some things we must never compromise on or stop preaching because they are in the book and they're foundational to everything else that we believe. And among those things are God is one. There's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is also the infallibility of scripture, the incarnation of Christ. His virgin birth, his crucifixion and death, his subsequent resurrection, and his saving grace to us in the new birth, God be praised. And his future return. You must never let those go. Christmas is more than just receiving gaily wrapped presents. Two of my grandsons here at Thanksgiving Spent two whole days camped in front of Walmart to buy the latest PlayStations. Literally, they pitched a tent outside the door of Walmart, got there first in line, and spent two whole days waiting for Walmart to open on Black Friday. They even carried them Thanksgiving dinner because they wanted to be there to get these PlayStations that were limited in number. Amen. And they ended up getting them. I mean, these days... Kids have video games that are so realistic. It's like you're in the game and a part of it. Especially if you have these 3D things on that, you know, that these, that you wear. And back when I was a kid, it wasn't like that. Now, if you ride a horse, you're in the movie on, you know, on the video game on the horse. When I was a kid, let me tell you what a horse consisted of. A broomstick that the broom had fallen off of and you tied a string around the top and that was your horse. Giddy up. And we had all the sounds down pat. Am I talking to anybody right now? Oh yeah, giddy up. We could make the, the sound of the galloping hooves. Whoa, amen. And we could even make the sound of the horse that when you stop. And you know, I don't ever remember feeling deprived as a kid when it came Christmas time. It's not the gifts you give, it's the gift he gave that makes this season so important. Amen. If necessary, we can let some things go. 
But there are some things that we must never permit to be stolen from us as a church, as the body of Christ. And one of those is Christmas. Beyond any doubt, Christmas remains and belongs among those sacred things we cannot afford to lose. Christmas must never to a believer be Xmas. A Christmas tree must never become a holiday tree. We must never be so quick to get to the office party that we forget the Christmas message. We must never be in such a hurry to eat Christmas dinner that we forget the Christmas service. Can I hear somebody say amen? Some people are in such a hurry to open earthly gifts, they forget about the gift that heaven gave us so freely that this is all based upon. We ever lose the wonder of Christmas. And if we ever allow it to become just another holiday or even, get this, turn it into just a family holiday, our faith will unravel and our connection with heaven will be lost. A Jesus not born of a virgin is of no value to any of us. Xmas doesn't have enough depth of meaning to save anybody. And a Christmas without a manger robs me of the wonder of what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And when you stop and think about it, Christmas was a most unlikely event. It was. It was little noticed anywhere. It was an event that barely caused a ripple as it were. Except for a few shepherds and three wise men, nobody even realized that Christmas had occurred at that time. And when you think about it, Christmas really is the most unlikely thing that you could, in your imagination, ever believe could occur. At Christmas, divinity chose to become humanity. Think about that. God becomes flesh. If you were God, would you want to become this? Mary's God became Mary's baby. The son of God could have been born in a king's palace with servants and splendor, with wealth and honor, but that isn't what he elected to have happen. No, it isn't. Even had he done so, let's get serious and get real. The best this world has to offer, (laughs) you're going to offer it to him from where he just came from (laughs) and what he was accustomed to seeing. What servants, no matter how splendidly robed, could ever match the majesty of seraphim with six wings crying, holy, 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 as they flew around the celestial throne. Tell me what city could have equaled one with walls made of jasper and gates of pearl and streets of purest gold. New York City, (laughs) not the New York City I've been to. Or San Francisco, or London, or Paris, or Buenos Aires, or Rio, nah, Tokyo, nah, Mm -mm. sorry, not even close. When he chose to redeem mankind, the Holy Son of God decided to be born on one of the least significant of all planets that existed. Think about it. He was born on earth. I want to show you just how amazing this is. Only one out of either eight or nine planets in our solar system 
depending upon the latest count given by the astronomers at the time. When I was a kid, it was nine. Then it got reduced to eight. And then it got kicked back up to nine. We don't know how many are out there. Amen. But we do know this. Our solar system is but a few rocks and the enormous galaxy our solar system calls home that's called the Milky Way. In our galaxy of the Milky Way, listen to this, there are as many as 400 billion stars. That's just in our galaxy. In the observable universe, there are at least two trillion galaxies. There are some small stars and large comets that are made up, did you know this? In, of entirely precious metals such as gold. Science can determine this by measuring the color shift of these objects in space. And last year, science announced that they had discovered a comet that they have named 16 Psyche. It is said, said to contain 16 quintillion dollars worth of gold. Now, you probably don't know how much 16 quintillion dollars is if you're having trouble balancing your checkbook. So I need to tell you. One million is a thousand thousands. A billion is a thousand millions. A trillion is a thousand billions. A quadrillion is a thousand trillions. And now to the quintillion. A quintillion is 1,000 billions. One quadrillion is a thousand trillions and one quintillion a thousand quadrillions. And this comet is worth 16 quintillion. To make it more real to you, there are 7.8 billion people on the earth right now. If they could harvest that one comet and they're talking about sending up spaceships to harvest comets and capture them and bring them to earth if they could capture this one that's called 16 psyche and then equally distributed all of the gold let me tell you how much that would be you're sitting next to people that would be worth 93 billion dollars each move over jeff bezos You ain't got nothing on me, amen. Can I hear somebody say hallelujah? No wonder the scripture tells us that the city from which our Lord comes and is enthroned is a city that where the streets are made. It's often misquoted. The song is wrong. The streets are not paved with gold. They're made of gold. Pavement is what you put on the top of the street. That little stuff, that thin layer, it's not made, made of, the pavement is not made of gold. The street is made of gold. Amen. Yet he left all of that to come here. You say, well, that's really unusual. No, it's not actually. Astronomers have found another planet in the constellation Cancer named 55 Cantris E that is made up entirely of a diamond. A whole planet. One diamond. Forget about sugar plums dancing in their heads. Spaceships now. 
It's mind-boggling that God chose to be incarnated here on earth instead of a star made of gold or perhaps diamonds or maybe platinum. But you see, Christmas was an unlikely event for other reasons too, not just because of where the planet was, but because not only did he choose to be born on this third rock from the sun instead of a wealthy, lavish planet, he chose to be born in one of the least significant of all towns on this planet. The scripture says in Micah 5, 2, but you Bethlehem Ephratah. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. The mighty God who existed in eternity past, worlds without end, chose to come to earth and the little city of Bethlehem that even scripture says is the least among the thousands of Judah. And even though he was born in the least significant of all towns, as if that wasn't enough, he also chose to be born in the least significant place in that town in a stable. It was the great C.S. Lewis, the Oxford scholar in Cambridge Don, who wrote with wonder, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. But even all of this wasn't condescending low enough to suit God. Christ could, if born on earth and born in little Bethlehem and born in a stable, at least he could have been born to the right family, right? Right last name and all of that kind of thing and the advantages that that would give him. No. He wasn't born to a family of prestige and renown. Instead, he was born to a virgin who wasn't married yet and to a family where there would be questions raised throughout his lifetime about his own legitimacy of conception. And that is why the Jewish people would say, we have Abraham for our father, but it's for you. (laughs) I don't even know who your daddy is. He knew. Amen. Isaiah 7 and 14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Don't you ever let anybody tell you Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. Because if he wasn't born of a virgin, he was not divine in nature. One would think that this is just about as low as deity stared to stoop, but it wasn't. Rather than choosing to be born among all of heaven's angels as attendants, he chose instead to be born among animals in a stable and with shepherds bowing in wonder. He dispatched angels. You can't stay. You go out and you sing in front of these shepherds and they're the ones that are going to come. You see me all the time. You've been with me from eternity past. Now... Bring the shepherds. And they came with their smelly animals. With sheep blading and cattle lowing. and Just blows my mind. To use today's terminology, terminology. The goat. The greatest of all time. Chose to become insignificant. Or as the scripture tells us. Meek and lowly. That was his decision. Born meek and lowly. 
You say, well, what's the purpose? Why did greatness choose insignificance? I'll tell you why. It's because sometimes little things can equate to really big differences. And you don't notice the difference until you see how little the beginning of that thing was. Have you lived long enough to discover that it's the little things that make the biggest differences in life? Anybody figured that out? Yeah. The great Albert Einstein, one of the greatest minds that has ever lived in modern times, wrote that what provoked his scientific curiosity occurred when he was but a little boy and he was sick and had a fever and was in bed and unable to get out of bed. And his dad brought him a small compass. And no matter which way this little child turned that compass, that need would veer, needle would veer back toward the north. And it fascinated him. And this is what he wrote later in his old age. He said, I can still remember that this experience made a deep and lasting impression on me. Something deeply hidden had to be behind things. And he spent the rest of his life trying to figure out what was behind. Behind things, what was behind gravitational pull and what was behind the movement of light through the universe and what was behind things. Little things. Give you a common one, aside from being just an excellent snack. The candy bore, you might not realize it, a little common chocolate candy bore is responsible for one of the discoveries that has become perhaps the most ubiquitous, common, modern appliance in your kitchen. There, it's in every kitchen represented in this building today. 1945, Percy Spencer, one of the world's leading experts on radar tubes, was building a magnetron for a radar set. And while he was working, he had a candy bore, candy bore in his pocket. And when he turned these radar tubes on, it melted. And Spencer and his colleagues then began to heat other foods to see if they could replicate this discovery. And when they would put them near these radar tubes, they would get hot. The radar tubes had a similar effect on those foods. And eventually, Spencer created what we have come to know today as the microwave oven. Discovered by accident. Little bitty things make big, big differences. How about this one? One nice day. 1941, Swiss inventor George de Mistral decided to take his dog out for a walk. And it was a beautiful day and they were out walking through the meadow. And when they arrived home, George noticed that both he and his dog were covered in thistle burrs. Now, how many of y'all know what thistle burrs are? Because some of, some of the kids in this room don't. They've never been out in the country. I was, I was raised in the country. You run through the field. You get all these cockle burrs, we call them, in your socks, the bottom of your trousers. You get them in the dog's coat. You have to pull them out. And he was fascinated. George was fascinated. He took one of these small prickly burrs and put it under a microscope as soon as he got home. And began to examine and they found that the seed pods were covered in many tiny hooks. Hooks which allowed them to grab the soft loops of the fabric of his trousers and in the dog's hair. He decided to create a two-sided fastener with on one side these small hooks and on the other side these small loops. And thus created Velcro. Used all over the world. God invented it before he did. Amen. In fact, it's even used in space. 
NASA, right down south of us, y'all don't know this, but some astronauts attach patches of Velcro on the inside of their helmets. You know why? In order to scratch their itchy noses. Seriously. Little things that make big differences. Little things like your grandparents decided to move from Illinois or North Carolina, ended up in Houston, and you went to school in a certain place and met a certain young lady that you never would have met had they stayed in North Carolina and raised your dad or your mom there. We call that serendipity. God doesn't. God calls it providence. Providence means divine guidance or care. But of all of the little things that have had huge influence in our world, I'm going to tell you right now that you're going to have to knock the compass off the list, list, the chocolate bar off the list, Velcro off the list. I want to tell you about the biggest little thing that ever happened. And that was the birth of a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. And I'm closing and you ask why? The big question, why? Why would such a big God who fills all of space and time choose to condescend and be born on earth in a manger? In a stable? As a baby? To a virgin? Number one, greatness chose insignificance because we could not reach him. The distance was too vast. He was too great. And we were too lost. Ephesians 2 and 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I want you to say these words, no hope. Would you do that? Look at your neighbor and say, no hope. Would you do that? You don't want to hear those words when you're standing outside the ER, do you? You don't want to hear those words when the doctor comes out of the operating room. No hope. You don't want to hear those words when you've had a loved one that's been critically ill. But you and I were without hope. Not some of us, all of us. We had no way to reach God. And greatness chose insignificance. Because we could not reach him. Second, greatness chose insignificance to show us that we are loved. Let me ask you a question. Ever meet anybody who has to be right all the time? Would you raise your hand? You know somebody like that? Wives, is it your husband? Don't answer that. Husband, is it your wife? Got to be right every single time. Let me tell you why they are like that. Maybe it will make it easier for you to live with them. I'm studiously looking away from my wife so she does not think these remarks are directed to her. It is because their self-esteem is so low that they feel they don't have any to spare or give away. When someone is secure in who they are and in their own worth, they can allow somebody... To be right, even when they know that person is wrong. You don't have to win every argument. 
I, it, there's a profound silence and there are light bulbs going all over in this place. I'm helping somebody's marriage right now. Christ was so secure in who he was. He didn't have to be right. He took our wrongs upon himself. He carried them to the cross. He died in our place. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yes, I can shout hallelujah. John three sixteen states it emphatically for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life greatness chose insignificance because we couldn't reach him but greatness also chose insignificance to show us that we're loved and number three greatness chose insignificance to show us how to give you see it's more than just a a little trite truism that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's actually one of the foundational principles of life. You will never get out of getting what you get out of giving. Never. Amen. And in life, there has to be reciprocity. How many of you have been in relationships or no people? Let me say it like that. Let me back off from that and just kind of get in the safe ground right here. You know, How many of you know people? That are in relationships where they got to give, give, give all the time. Give, give, give. That's miserable because if there's no reciprocity and there is no turning around where the person you give to gives back to you. That defines pure unmitigated misery. It's hell to live like that. Amen. Christ chose to show us how to give and keep on giving. When all I could give him was just me and my brokenness and my lostness, my woundedness, my sinfulness. Galatians 2, 20, the sea clause, the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He didn't give me a gift. He gave me himself. Christ was God's greatest gift. Don't you ever, ever let Christmas become excellent. Mm. And the final point is greatness chose insignificance that we, the insignificant, could become great. Imagine. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Did you hear that? Grace, grace, you didn't earn it, you didn't merit it, you weren't so good that you deserved it, and neither was I, none of us were, and then he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, somebody ought to shout hallelujah this morning.
Hallelujah. Greatness shows insignificance that we, the insignificant, could become great. And from nobodies to somebodies. That's the journey of salvation. Beloved, now we who were lost, condemned, wretched, blind, miserable, poor, undeserving. Now, (laughs) I am a son of God. You're a child of God. Behold, now are we the children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But he taught us through insignificance. 